This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Joel, I want to talk about noise. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, noise all over the place. There is. Many kinds of noise and and what we can do about it. And many people, myself included, have radios that uh, in some cases have pretty sophisticated ways to deal with noise, either uh, noise blankers or noise reduction systems. But these are not the same thing, are they? Absolutely not. Very different thing. Everything we do is limited by noise in some sense or other. And we're not talking about digestive noises here. That's a whole different topic for another day. <laughs> but but uh, just the noise that comes in over the air or is generated in our equipment is usually the limitation on how well we can hear whatever station we're trying to listen to. So That's we always right. talk about signal-noise ratio. And usually we like to have signals that are well above the noise level so we can hear them without being interfered with by the noise. And perhaps I shouldn't have used the word interfere with. That's a sort of a different kind of thing. But noise still interferes with your ability to understand what's being transmitted. And that's usually the fundamental limitation, signal to noise ratio. So given that, people have been working on it for years. Before there were noise blankers, there were noise limiters. And noise limiters were very straightforward devices. They kept signals and noise from getting louder or stronger than a certain level. And of course, what that meant is they ended up being, in the worst case, at the same level, which meant your signal and noise were at the same level, which is not really what you want. That's the zero dB signal to noise ratio, which is sometimes usable. But of course, the idea being... Most kinds of noise that we're trying to deal with, pulse-type noise, for example, are not there all the time. So it's not quite as bad as some kinds of other kinds of noise. But the noise blanker was kind of an advancement over that. It's fairly sophisticated also in an analog sort of way in the sense that what it did was it took a sample of the signals coming in off the air in a very wide bandwidth. And if there was a noise pulse that came in, it actually caused the audio to the receiver to turn off briefly. Just for a tiny, tiny fraction Just of Just the duration of the pulse. And that was the key. Just as when you watch a movie, you don't notice the fact that in between frames, there's nothing there or whatever, but um, your, your mind kind of integrates across the gap. And that's what the noise blanker would do. It would cut the noise out and keep the rest of the signal there with a little gap in between that you didn't notice. Now, the key to that is that um, we know, I think, that to transmit a very narrow pulse requires a wide bandwidth system. Well, I don't know if you know that or not, but but it's... The, well, it's, I know it now. <laughs> it is a fact. Conversely, if you have a... Um, if you put a very narrow pulse into a system and you have a narrow bandwidth, it can't make it through. And what happens is the result is the pulse, the narrow pulse is stretched. It becomes longer. Ah. So what that means is if you take your noise pulse and work on it after it gets through your selective receiver, it's actually longer than it was to start with, which means if you try to blank it at that point, the blank period is much longer and it's more noticeable. So that's why it's done in a wide band with some some receivers, the, the Drake's uh, C-Line, for example, perhaps all of the, I don't know if all the four-line had it, have an actual separate receiver that oh. that receives noise pulses, with the theory being that uh, ignition noise or something going down the street is 
on all frequencies, so why not listen to it on, uh, let's say, 40 megahertz? I had no idea. And, and we'll cut the receiver off briefly. But most receivers use very early stages in the same receiver before it gets into any filtering to, to do this function. Okay, so when my neighbor is driving their lawnmower next to my antenna or close to it, and I hear the pop, 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 you're right. I switch on the noise blanker and it literally vanishes. I don't mean reduced, I mean vanished. Yeah, that's a noise, that noise blanker that works well, works very well. Yes. However, I do notice that if I'm listening to a single sideband signal and I activate the noise blanker, I hear some distortion in many cases. Well, that happens, and it's a, there's a trade-off there, and uh, noise blankers don't tend to be as distorting as the next thing we're talking about, which is noise reduction yes. technology. Because noise blankers usually are really on or off, and, and uh, when they're off, there's nothing there, but it's very brief and you don't know it. So it's unusual, in my experience, for a noise blanker to cause distortion. On the other hand, the newer technology, digital signal processing, is used to reduce noise, and that often in the process of working its algorithms ends up providing distortion as a added benefit. <laughs> oh, okay. But the, the real benefit of, of digital signal processing is unlike a noise blanker or a noise clipper, a uh, digital signal processing noise reduction system can actually reduce the background continuous white noise and bring the signals up out of the noise. Now, are we into noise reduction then yes. now at this now point? Yes, now I've switched oh, over okay. to noise reduction, okay. which was the other part of your question. Yes. So we talked about what noise blanking is. Now, noise reduction, in contrast, is a whole different thing. It, it uses digital signal processing, computer technology, to analyze the signal and decide what's noise and what's signal and subtract out or, or reduce, eliminate the what it thinks the noise is. Now, in the process, it acts upon the signal as well. It's all in the same stream of, of information. So if it thinks what you're saying is, is noisy, yes. it will change it. And that sounds like distortion. Well, yeah, exactly. I have to tell you, my transceiver, without getting into the brand and the model, like so many modern rigs these days, has a noise reduction function. And it's in various levels. You can choose the level of noise reduction that you want. But I notice, especially on the higher levels of reduction, I really don't care for the sound. It has a weird, hollow type sound to it. Exactly. And I think that's that's fairly typical of them. And uh you know, frankly, I don't use them that much. Um, no. I'd rather have my mind try to do the elimination. But if if it's working well, and I think I have to say as I try different radios over the years that they've gotten better and better and better as time goes on. So I'm not trying to say sell your radio, but, right. but you may find that your next radio actually does a better job at eliminating noise and preserving the audio that you want than your last radio. And let's uh, hope it doesn't go the other way. But, but that's been my experience is at least it has that potential to do that. So they're getting better at this. In some radios, it's not just a matter of the level of the noise reduction that you click in. It's actually, you're actually selecting different algorithms. And some of them are better at acting against different kinds of noise than others. Yes. So by picking the algorithm that's matched to the noise, you can end up with the, the most beneficial arrangement. Now, I don't mind the effect so much when listening to CW. Again, that hollow sound that I'm talking right. about. It's really more prevalent or more noticeable for me when I'm listening to sideband. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the, the nuances in sideband are much more um, detailed than typically in CW, which is typically an on-off kind of thing. You know, it comes down to the question of, okay, if you don't use the noise reduction, can you understand what the person is saying? 
And if you can, then maybe you don't need the noise reduction. But if you can't, and if you can when you turn the noise reduction on to the appropriate algorithm, then you're able to make a contact that you otherwise wouldn't be able to make or, or continue a conversation and actually understand what the person is saying. So so either it, you know, either it helps or it doesn't, and, and it all depends on the nature of the noise and how well-designed the algorithm is to attack that particular kind of noise. Have you ever heard people discuss uh, what some call listener fatigue, where if you're listening to a particularly noisy signal for an extended period of time, it has an almost uh, psychological effect on you, where it becomes onerous to sit there and listen to the radio, and that allegedly noise reduction can improve that experience. That's certainly something that that does happen, and uh, I suspect particularly for people who put in 30 hours on a contest in a row or something, yes. which I don't do to myself generally. But it can happen to a certain extent to anybody. The other thing is the distortion from the noise reduction can have a similar effect. True. You can get tired of that too. So it's, it's all a trade-off. And uh, well, the nice thing about it is you can turn it on or off. So if it's, yes. if it's beneficial, you turn it on. If it's not beneficial, you turn it off. My particular transceiver, getting back to noise blankers for a moment, has more than an on-off button. You can adjust the uh, depth or the width of the noise blanker. There's a little adjustment there for that. And that can produce some interesting effects. Uh, Again, introducing distortion if I have the width too high and so on. Well, the idea of a blanker is to have the minimum width to take the pulse out and thereby have the minimum effect upon the signal you're trying to listen to. So if you make it wider, you may be defeating the purpose of why you're doing it in the first place. That's true. Well, Joel, let's take a break. I'll hear from DX Engineering and be back. Our fellow hams have told us how much they love receiving the DX Engineering catalog. It's 132 pages of amateur radio heaven, packed with competitively priced equipment. You'll find everything from multiband Yagis to whip antennas, the latest bass transceivers to mobile radios, and every accessory under the sun. But the catalog only represents a small part of what DX Engineering offers. When you visit DXEngineering.com, you'll find thousands of items from trusted names like ICOM, Yesu, Kenwood, and Alinko. There's world-famous antennas from OptiBeam, E-Antennas, and M-Squared, Roan and American Towers, plus many more. And shop a wide selection of innovative DX Engineering brand products. They're designed and manufactured by our team of amateur radio enthusiasts for hams just like you. Plus, you get the fastest shipping in the ham universe, and shipping is free on most orders over $99. Experience ham radio heaven at dxengineering.com. That's dxengineering.com. And we're back, and we have a question from Fred, AA0JK, and he's asking, With today's ham radios, why does one need a chassis ground? Doesn't the three-prong plug used today provide sufficient proper grounding for the radio? Well, that's a good question, Joel. There are a number of reasons for having a ground on a radio, and it solves one of the problems, but only one. The problem the prong connected to your green wire solves is the electrical safety aspect of grounding, which is only one of a number of different things that we'll talk about. The idea of that is if you have a a device, whether it's a toaster or a uh, power supply connected to your radio, if somehow inside the box the hot lead gets connected to the chassis, which can happen in a number of different ways. It used to happen all the time. In fact, some radios were built that way. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, I but found I, that out the hard way once. <laughs> so if you put your hand on that, instead of circuit continuing through the power line, it'll continue through you and give you a nasty <laughs> jolt. So by having the, the chassis of the device connected to the green wire, and the green wire goes back to the uh, service entrance panel and connects there to the ground, that causes the circuit breaker or, or fuse to blow 
and that removes the electricity from causing you a potential problem. So that's what the green wire does. That's a very good thing to have, but that's all that it does. It does not do anything for you generally for things like lightning or RFI reduction or anything else. A lot of people have a hard time understanding that. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. really separate issues in terms of how they're dealt with. Now, it's possible to design a system that all of those things happen in one place on one wire, but it, it doesn't happen automatically and it doesn't happen because the manufacturer put a green wire in your power cord and may or may not have connected it to your um, equipment in any way. In fact, if you check, you may find that the green wire which is you think of as ground or, or neutral or connected to, back to the uh, ground in the system, uh, you think of it as the same potential as the negative side of your power supply, but it may or may not be connected to it. In fact, if you check with an ohmmeter, you'll find out 50-50 that many power supplies, the green wire has no connection to the ground terminal at all that goes onto your radio. So the rest of your radio has no knowledge or benefit of that green wire. That's that, a good point. That doesn't always happen, but, but in many cases it does. And there's really no requirement for it. What it, the requirement is that it connect to the chassis of the power supply. Now, many designers will ground the negative terminal of the power supply to the chassis also or the cabinet. So let's think about what happens in, let's say, um, a case not of a lightning strike, which is very difficult to prevent damage from, but a lightning coupled signal that gets into your antenna and comes down your transmission line to your radio on the coax and probably the outside of the shield comes to the chassis of your radio. And now the question is, how does that get to ground? Well, if you have, if you use the ground terminal on the back of the radio, it is connected directly to the chassis usually, which is connected directly to the shield. And that'll take most of the current to your ground system, which if it's good enough, that's where it'll go. If you don't have a wire there, it's going to find its way to some kind of ground. And what it has to do is get into your radio, go through some printed circuit board traces, no doubt, <laughs> which will not be uh, enjoying, <laughs> enjoying the process and come out perhaps on the negative terminal of your power supply connection and work its way back to the power supply and may or may not, as we discussed, get to the green wire and leave that way. So yes, the, uh, the lightning current will find a way out. It may be on the green wire, but in the process, it may rip through your radio doing an awful lot of damage. So the idea is to have a good ground at your radio itself and at your amplifier and at your antenna tuner and everything else that's connected. And the way to do that is to bring them all to a common point and ground that to a good ground. Now, sometimes the best ground you can do may be that green wire going back, but the idea is to bring all the connections from the ground terminal to that green wire to do that. And of course, if you're close to ground, it's better to have a separate ground and then tie them both together outside the house through a bonding arrangement. But in one place in my system, I do exactly that. I use the green wire from the power supply as the basic common point in order to do that, I uh, use a screw that goes into the power supply cabinet because I've checked that that, makes, that does have a good connection to the green wire. Scrape the insulation off underneath the screw because paint is not a good conductor of electricity. That, that's a valid point, yes. And then run a wire from there to each piece of equipment's ground terminal. So that way, even though I'm using the green wire, I'm getting all the signals that I want to have leave the equipment that come in in inadvertent ways, like from lightning, to go out on that wire by not going through the equipment itself, but staying outside on the outside layer of the equipment. And I think that's much more effective than trying to hope that it somehow gets to the ground, the green wire of the power supply on its own, because chances are good that it won't. Just trusting to luck, in other words. Exactly. Very good advice, Joel. Thank you. You're very welcome. If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com.
Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.